This is New Classical Tracks from listener-supported American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Joanne Folletta has been a longtime advocate of American composers, and her latest recording features two concertos that might be kind of an unusual pairing. The first work is by Danny Elfman. It's a violin concerto featuring violinist Sandy Cameron. In fact, the work was written for her. And the other work is the piano concerto number one by Adolphus Hailstork. In fact, this is the first time this work has been recorded, and it features pianist Stuart Goodyear. That's what we're going to hear about this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julie Elmacher. All right, well, let's dive into this recording. We're going to talk about the uh, Danny Elfman Violin Concerto 1111 and the Piano Concerto Number 1 by Adolphus Hailstork. Now, this new recording features these two living American composers. What made you want to pair these two works together on this recording? I mean, was it simply because these are two living American composers, or is there more to it? Well, I mean, I think the main premise for me is that American concertos are so important. You know, many of us, when we started to integrate more and more of our own country's music into our programs, we would put on an overture, we'd put on a short little starter piece at the second half. And and I began to realize that the concertos, where you have an advocate for new music right next to you, are really the way to make American music a vibrant part of who we are and, and on every program. So... Um, I've been doing a lot of American concertos and commissioning them for our players. And I'd love to start a series of American concertos. And and what better way to start than with these two unbelievable pieces? And I chose these two, Julie, because they were from really a different world than we normally associate with concertos. I mean, with Adolphus Hailstork, it comes from his background, his African-American background, but also his intense training in, in, in classical Western music. Um, and with Sandy, it comes from someone who had never written a classical piece until he wrote this amazing violin concerto, and that's Danny Elfman. So they are two very out-there concertos in a way, and, and I love them both. I, I think they're, they're destined to be classics of the 21st century. You talked about wanting to establish a commissioning series. If I'm not mistaken, the Adolphus Hailstork Piano Concerto Number no. 1 was commissioned in 1992 by a consortium of five orchestras, one of them being the Virginia Symphony, your old stomping grounds. That's right. That's right. And it was commissioned right after I became music director, and that was part of the reason for the commission. And Dolph lived in my apartment building. I mean, the the uh, we both came to Virginia at the same time. I came to work with the orchestra, and Dolph came to teach at two universities, at Old Dominion and at uh, Norfolk State University. So, of course, we met each other, and he wrote 
so many pieces. I mean, he was very active as a composer, and we played them all. He was, uh, in a way, our composer in residence, and um, uh, we got to do premieres of his pieces all the time. But we asked him specifically to write a piano concerto, and he wrote this amazing piece. And we took it with us when we made our debut performance at Carnegie Hall. So the piece has always had, uh, you know, a great, a great um, history in my in my mind. I mean, we did this piece at Carnegie Hall, and uh, it was a tremendous success. So uh, in Buffalo, I thought it's time to record it. We have to record it because no one knows about this piece. And frankly, to me, it it is. Um, one of the greatest piano concertos ever written. I mean, after Gershwin, this is is the next one, in my estimation. It's just has everything. It has virtuosity. It has it has uh, um, beautiful melodies. It has uh, a kind of intensely personal communication uh, for, directly from Dolph. And it means a lot to me, and it meant a lot to be able to record this for Naxos. It's interesting that you say it's probably the best American piano concerto since Gershwin because didn't Stuart Goodyear say something similar about this work? And I was very gratified that he did because he came to it as as a new person. I, I met, called him and said, Stuart, do you want to see a wonderful piano concerto and you want to play it with us? And he fell in love with it. And in the course of the week, he said, you know, this is the best piano concerto since a Gershwin Concerto in F. And it has a similar, a more modern perhaps uh, feeling to it, but it has a similar kind of um, sincere and, and personal just a jive to it, you know. It's it's Dolph. It's Dolph with with his his own point of view, with his background, his exuberance. He loves jazz. He loves blues. He he knows American rhythms, and he loves American melody, and that's for sure. And and it's a it's a great virtuoso showpiece, which is why we chose Stewart because he's fabulous, and I think he's starting to play it all over, which is exactly what I wanted for people to discover this. You know, after people heard this, Dolph was commissioned by other people to write two more piano concertos. So he's doing that right now. He's very busy writing two separate piano concertos. So um, I think uh, his performance in this recording may have started something big in terms of performances of his concertos. Did I read correctly that Adolphus Hillstork studied with Nadia Boulanger in Paris? He did. He did. You know, I, I met him in Virginia, but actually he's a New Yorker. He was born in Rochester. He grew up in Albany, and he went to study for two years with Nadia Boulanger. And he told me that, that she told him a very similar thing that she told Aaron Copeland, and that you have to find your own voice that is already in you. And that comes from your background. It comes from your hymns, where you went to church, what you heard as a child, what your grandmother sang to you. That's your voice, and you have to find that and then bring it out in the way that uh, you you can. And he took that very seriously. So while his music is, is complex and it's, um, it's impeccably crafted, it's rooted in in him and his warmth and his background and his love of people, and you hear all of that in the piano concerto. Let's talk about what we hear in each of the movements. The first movement starts off with a chant-like melody with the piano. Talk more about 
how things develop in that movement. Well, you're right. It starts off in a very unusual way, very simple, simple melody, of piano playing just one note at a time, much like Mozart does once in a while. And, um, and then it goes on. It opens up. as if it's like a flower opening. And he combines the really great training he's had as an orchestrator and as writing, writing a concerto in keeping the orchestra and the pianist as equals in the piece where they converse with each other. I mean, and it's, it's a fun conversation, you know. It, of course, it gets, it gets very, you know, energetic and vibrant, but, but they're in there together. And I think there's something very American about that. Need to, that's how it develops in the first movement. And, and the second movement, I think, was, was more about him trying to think about those beautiful Rachmaninoff melodies. writing one of his own that's distinctly American, and, it, and only he could have written it with such ease in uh, blues and jazz, which comes so naturally to him. And then in the third movement, of course, it's again a real tour de force. It's not easy at all for the orchestra as well. I mean, it's, it's a really challenging piece. I think Dolph was afraid when he first wrote it. He told me that he'd never written a piano concerto. He wasn't sure that it was going to work. And it was a hit right from the beginning. And uh, I only wish I had recorded it so long ago and, and had more people know about it. But, but now it's out, and uh, hopefully Stuart will champion it. But he won't be the only one. I mean, it's just too great a piece. Oh, so this is the first time you've recorded that, even though it was commissioned 31 years That's right. ago. Wow. That's right. That's right. So so having Noxos have it now, and, you know, they have such a tremendous reach all over the world, um, and it just came out. It just came out in March. So, so I'm looking forward to having this piece played many, many times. Let's talk about 1111 by Danny Elfman, the violin concerto, which he wrote for Sandy Cameron, and she is your soloist on this recording. Was Danny Elfman part of this performance in any way? Because I thought I saw him on stage with you doing like a pre-concert talk or something. Yes, yes, he was. When we played it in Virginia, he was there. And that was quite, quite a weekend because... I never realized he had so many movie fans and uh, television fans and uh, people who knew him from his other life, you know, the life he's been living and writing, amazing movie scores and television scores. And um, he is 
really a unique and very lovely person. And, and the coming about of this piece is something that's hard to believe. He, he was working with Sandy on uh, some of the Tim Burton films. And he had written uh, some parts for violin solo. And Sandy, who lives in Los Angeles, was playing them. And he was so struck by her virtuosity, and she's an incredible virtuoso, that he said, you know, I want to write a violin concerto, and I want to write it for you. Uh, he had never written a classical piece. And I think he said he was 60 at that time when he said this. And he said, it's about time. If I'm going to do this, I have to do it now. And he asked her, what should I listen to? Uh, which pieces should I listen to to learn how to write for the symphony orchestra in a classical way, in a concert piece? And she suggested he listen to Prokofiev violin concertos and Shostakovich violin concertos. And um, he did. He did. And he loved them. And he said to her, well, I love it, and I'm going to write something like that, and I want it to be for a huge orchestra. You know, I want it to be for full brass and percussion and tremendous sound. And she said, well, remember that the violin has, you know, got to be heard all the time. And they came up with this incredible idea of lightly amplifying the violin. And in doing that, it gave Danny the chance to use those tremendous forces that he wanted because the violin is always heard. Now, people listening to the recording won't even be aware of that, but they will be able to hear the violin at all times. And the nuance of the violin that Sandy creates, the different colors that she creates through the big sound of the orchestra. It's just amazing. I mean, for a first ever classical piece, uh, this is the most astonishing piece I have heard. I mean, as a first piece. And it's a kind of a film noir concerto, if you know what I mean. I mean, imagine that, that uh, of course, uh, Danny is very well known for his music for Batman. And that kind of city noir scape, you know, where where it's dark and um, a little threatening, but, but, you know, just so enticing. That's what the piece is. It's kind of this dark journey that he takes us on. Um, and I teased him when he was there. I said, well, it's kind of like this is what Batman would sound like if you played the violin. Because it's that sort of background. I mean, it's it's an incredible journey. And, and Sandy sees it as that. She sees herself as setting out on a journey that's uh, unsure, unknown, dark, so beautiful, uh, so engaging that uh, uh, the orchestra and I and the audience felt totally in love with this piece. And I just felt we had to we had to record it with her. And um, and I'm so glad we did because the the uh, recording with the Buffalo Philharmonic and Sandy is I think is incredible. <laughs> And again, 
It's a kind of American music that is directly from our time. It comes from our environment. And uh, it's, it's something that, that says who, who we are and where we live and should be played and played and played. And I think it will be once people hear it. It's, it's irresistible. I know the number 11 is very significant to Danny Elfman. Can you share where the title comes from? Yeah, well, Danny told us. And, and um, you know, he is a funny guy and thinks about things in a funny way. But he said uh, at the end when the piece was all finished, he said to Sandy, I wonder how many measures there are in this piece. Because it's a full-length concerto. And so he looked. He could he could look at the, um, you know, the score online. And, and he found out that there were 1,111 bars. He said, 11, 11. That's what I'm going to call it, because also his name, Elf, in German means 11. So he took this as a kind of uh, sort of a symbol or signal that this was something that that was going to be special for him because uh, of the number being his, uh, Elfman being his name. He was a very wonderful person to work with, very supportive, very, uh, very interested in now to continue continuing composing. And I think he's written subsequently a percussion concerto and a cello concerto. And he's working on some orchestral works now. So we, we were so proud to be able to play his first real, real classical work. And um, it's in his language. So people who know his film scores are going to fall in love with this, but people who know Shostakovich and Prokofiev are going to fall in love with it too. It's it's amazing. Did you find that when you put this concerto on the program that perhaps there were some new people coming to the concert hall to hear what... Danny Elfman had created in the realm of classical music since he's known for things like the theme for The Simpsons and so many film scores. Definitely, Julie, because I saw people in the hall. You know, I give a pre-concert talk uh, all the time. I, I saw people coming into the hall that I had never seen, a lot of young people. And I think they came, uh, especially in Virginia, where we knew he would be with us, uh, they came to see him, just to see him, just to be in his presence. I mean, he is he's such a beloved film composer and uh, an amazingly gifted person, an amazingly talented person. It's just hard to imagine how someone could set his hand to writing a classical concerto and and come up with this masterpiece. Um, amazing, amazing. And Sandy was his muse in many ways, much like, you know, Brahms uh, used Joachim, who was the person for whom he wrote his violin concerto, as an advisor, and, and Mendelssohn used Ferdinand David, his concertmaster, as an advisor. And even Beethoven used Clement as his advisor, of course, because these people were the violin virtuosos, and they helped him. And Sandy did exactly that, although she claims no credit. She's very modest. She claims no credit. But but uh, she was there with him all the way through it and uh, willing to try anything. And she herself has a fascinating background, Julie. I don't know if you know this. She, um, uh, when she first graduated from school, she, she, as she said, she ran away to the circus. She joined Cirque du Soleil. They were looking for a classical violinist in their routine, you know, in their gymnastic ballets that they put on. And she, you know, was up there on a rope playing uh, fantastically difficult violin things. And uh, I asked her just this past week how she did it and how she kept her balance. And she said it was just all about, uh, about, about that balance, you know, thinking scientifically of how I could be on that rope and how I could distribute my weight and hold my bow and, and hold my violin. And, and it all worked. So, so she's had a 
very, very interesting life and then got involved, of course, with uh, recording for the movies in L.A. So a very different and astonishingly talented violinist. I actually thought when I when I talked to Danny Elfman about this work, he put a recording out featuring 1111 with Sandy Cameron a few years ago when he first wrote it. And I thought he had told me that that's how he actually met her was through Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, I bet and so. And that it was kind of that quirky, you know, because he's got a really quirky background. And she really didn't know who he was. <laughs> And so when he approached her, she was like, oh, okay. Um, you know, whereas some people would have been really starstruck. And I said to him, well, do you think that was maybe to your advantage that she wasn't that familiar with you and, you know, what you were known for? And he seemed to think it was because she was really open to share her thoughts and opinions about the work that way. I think she was. I think they, they became friends. And... Um Perhaps only later she realized quite how famous he was. But, you know, he was he's very modest, and he approached her as someone who said, I've never done this before, and I need your help. I mean, tell me what I should do. I mean, it was astonishingly modest for someone who had has had such a string of enormous successes, but he wanted to do something different. And they've become very close friends, and, and uh, I think he listened to everything she said, and she, on for her part, was willing to try anything he wanted. And, um, you know, she probably didn't know him because her training had been completely classical. So I think when she graduated, she just said, you know what, there's there's got to be other types of music. There's got to be other places I can work and learn from. And that's when she ran away to the circus, as she says. <laughs> Well, both of these performances come from live concert settings. And so I'm wondering, Joanne, if you can tell me perhaps something that was really memorable about the 1111 performance when it happened, um, you know, live with the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra, or maybe a behind the scenes story that only you would know. Well, there's a, a wonderful um, a wonderful story that Danny told me that he put in a kind of a, a Latin tango in the second movement and then wanted to take it out because he said, oh no, that's too pop. You know, it's just too pop. And Sandy talked him out of it. She said, no, it's great. And our orchestra agreed. I think it was one of their favorite spots. And the orchestra just turned into kind of like a band. I mean, it was, it's an incredible mixture of serious classical music and popular music, too. And, and I think that's why it's, it was loved by everyone. So that part almost didn't stay in there, but I'm glad it did. And, and really, the audience didn't know what to expect. And I especially love it when they're surprised by something and get completely into it. I mean, the ovation was enormous and um, uh, in both places in Buffalo and in Virginia and other places where she's done it so so I'm I'm hope I'm hoping that uh, she'll do lots more performances and maybe someone else will tackle this amazingly difficult piece Sandy has memorized this 40 minute concerto which is almost unbelievable because well, you, when you see what she plays in it when you hear what she plays in it you can't imagine that she's memorized every note Thank you. 
What about the performance of the Hailstork Piano Concerto? Is there a memorable moment there, perhaps, during the performance or um, maybe about the composer that, you know, gives us a little behind-the-scenes look at that work and that composer? Well, yes. I mean, in, when when we did this in Buffalo and... and uh, uh, I convinced um, Dolph to come and be with us. It was really, it was a kind of reunion of the three people who put this together for Carnegie, and that was Dan Hart, our executive director, who took the Virginia Symphony to Carnegie Hall, and Dolph and me. And I, there were a lot of tears, and there were a lot of reminiscing about about that time, 1992, you know, or 1997, when we took it to Carnegie, it was in 1997. The three of us together, you know, working against all odds to get the Virginia Symphony to Carnegie Hall. It was the first time, the only time that the orchestra's been there. And um, I, at the beginning, none of us believed it would happen, but it did happen. So uh, when Dolph came and saw Dan and, and me, I mean, they were, we just burst into tears. And I remember hugging each other, and, and this is so many years later, but the feeling of that night of Dolph's success uh, with this piece and an hour now re revisiting it and bringing it back to life uh, was personally very emotional for us. Joanne Folletta and the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra celebrating two American composers, Danny Elfman and Adolphus Hale Stork, on their newest recording. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher.